0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the warning track power podcast with your baseball guys, Jake and Chris, and we're back recapping the last uh, week of postseason baseball Um, and everybody except for two teams that were in the wild card uh, round are still uh, alive and some are better than others, but they're still alive and fighting for a spot uh, to be world series champions Um, but Chris, it's been, uh, it's been an exciting week and, uh, we're, we're here. There's still eight teams alive. All eight teams that made it to the division series are still, uh, alive and, uh, competing for a spot in the world series. But, uh, I know, uh, we'll talk about this pretty quickly off the top here. Uh, your Cardinals didn't, uh, they, they impressed, I think, but they, uh, they unfortunately, uh, are no longer with us for the 2021 season. Yes. Yes. You said they're no
1: longer with us. I was starting to think like, we need to, you know, like, I guess it's their season in, in memoriam. It's like, yeah. they're no longer with you No, know, The season is over for them. Uh, yeah. That was, that was a bummer. You know, we're at a, a point now where you and I were just talking uh, about this before we started the recording that uh, it's very possible at the time of that we're recording this on Monday afternoon, that, uh, both of the National League division series could go five games, and both the American League could go four. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the only team that could be uh, from the division series that could be eliminated come Tuesday is the Tampa Bay Rays, the defending AL champs. Every other mm-hmm. team will at least live till Tuesday because the uh, Braves and Brewers tied at one, Dodgers, Giants tied at one, and Astros. Uh, White Sox was postponed to Tuesday, so uh, the defending AL champions trying to avoid uh, being eliminated by the Red Sox. I know we'll talk about that, but uh, yeah, Cardinals, rough situation. Um, Dodgers-Cardinals last week, um, that game was, what, Wednesday? Wednesday, Wednesday? yeah, yeah. Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of that was an intense game. You know, there was a lot of hype going into it. Of course, you know the Dodgers were the huge favorites, and you had two old guys that combined seventy-seven years old and Max Scherzer <laughs> and and Adam Wainwright on the mound. And Adam Wainwright did just about everything he could. He was not spectacular, but he mean for a playoff start. He, I mean, you know, he didn't have his best the entire outing but yeah. talk about pushing through with what you have and just making the best of your situation and really gutting it out uh, five and a third from him, just one earned run uh, given up. And, and that was Justin Turner, Homer in the fourth uh, by Wainwright. Mm-hmm. Uh, got through five and a third, five strikeouts, a couple of walks. And generally speaking, the Cardinals bullpen was actually decent, except for when it wasn't. Um <laughs> You know, there are two big things that Cardinals fans have, have pointed out. So, you know, the, the Cardinals actually struck first in this game. Uh, Tommy Edman scored on a, a wild pitch from Xers Scherzer in the first, and uh, they were only able to get one in that inning. And then uh, Turner tied it up in the fourth. And uh-huh. that's the scoring summary all the way up until the bottom of the ninth inning <laughs> uh, when just uh, Chris Taylor homered a two-run home run off of Alex Reyes. Um I'm sorry. Is that? uh, No, you're right. Yeah. Yep. Two run homer off of Alex Reyes. Uh, Reyes wasn't credited with the loss because the the pitcher before him was the one who allowed the go ahead run, the the second run for the Dodgers to reach. So that's what confused me there. But um, (laughs) so there are two things the Cardinals fans kind of latched onto. One was, oh man, how did you let, how did Mike Schilt let Alex Reyes pitch in that game? which is a fair criticism to some extent. Reyes really faded down the stretch. Uh, he's a guy who just had thrown more innings this season than he had in a long time. Um, and he had really, you know, shown a tendency to give up the long ball later in the season. He was removed from the closers role. And so that was a, that was a legitimate criticism, but the bigger problem was the Cardinals with runners in scoring position. Uh, and I believe, and I really should have had this ready. I believe it was, well, they left 11 on base yeah uh, with runners in scoring position they were 0 for 11 yeah. and you you can't do that I mm-hmm. understand that the Dodgers pitching is great uh you know Scherzer only, even though he didn't get through five innings they have a, a great relief uh set of relievers including Kenley Jansen Corey Knable Blake Trinan and so on and so forth but if you're gonna hold the Dodgers to just a couple runs. If you had yeah. told me, okay, they're gonna hold the Dodgers to just, you know, a couple runs, yeah. you know, get into the ninth inning, just allowing one run, I would have been really optimistic because the way the offense had been performing was such at such a high level. And it just it just didn't show up for this game. There's not a lot to say in terms of, you know, like, oh no, the offense is horrible now. Oh, they gotta sign three all-star hitters, like it happens it's one game but really it just comes down to that stat for me uh runners in scoring position over 11 11 left on base like can't do it you're not going to beat the dodgers when that's the case so yeah unfortunate but it doesn't take away from what was still a remarkable um final stretch of the regular season to even make the postseason that was still an incredible, incredibly fun ride yeah you know there'll be plenty of time this offseason to kind of dive into what they should do and all that stuff because i know we have a lot of other teams to talk about as well but uh, that that was just sort of my my thoughts on uh, the end of the cardinal season
0: yeah no i i was watching that game and i saw that they got a run early and i thought you know they're gonna they're gonna get to scherzer and it was you know wild pitch and pass ball sort of thing and you know no rbi credited there obviously but you know, it's those those little plays like that that can make the difference. So they got one of those runs early, and then, you know, Scherzer and the the rest of the uh, Dodgers bullpen just shut them down. But, um, you know, Tyler O'Neal, I'm looking at uh, just through the box score here. Tyler O'Neal, 0 for 4, three strikeouts, left six guys on base. Nolan Arenado, 0 for 4, he left five guys on base. Uh, you know, so a couple of big uh, – bats for the Cardinals not coming through when they needed to. Um, But a couple positives, Tommy Edmond had three hits, which I thought was, uh, especially at the top of the lineup, he did his job in terms of setting the table uh, for the Cardinals. Um, And then uh, obviously Adam Wainwright uh, was awesome. Uh, Kept his team in the game. And, you know, if you can get at least to the fifth inning, if you're a starter and keep your team in the game, that's all you can ask for and uh you know you got a score to win and the, the cardinals only uh scratched one across and that was in the very first inning and couldn't get anything else going so um i think it was a lot better of a showing than maybe even you expected chris just keeping yeah. the game uh, as close as it was and tied for most of it uh, up until that walk off by chris taylor um but uh you know I, uh, the cardinals uh <laughs> their voodoo magic, uh, did not come through this, this year. Um, but it was going to be a challenge, uh, trying to take down the Dodgers, but, uh, yeah. So we kind of went a little bit backwards. Uh, Chris, if you have uh, any final thoughts about, uh, that game and and the Cardinals season, uh,
1: you know, I think, uh, I think I kind of hit, hit on the main things that, that are in my mind. Uh, you know, I know we'll have maybe, you know, uh, some time of the off-season to kind of maybe go through each division, talk about the, the teams and what what that off-season, their off-season priorities should be. And right. I'm sure we'll talk about our teams in that respect. Um, you know, I, I, think, I, I think it's going to be a very interesting off-season as it pretty much always is for the Cardinals, considering their position as a team that uh, expects to be competitive, but certainly right. has needs to fill. Um, and I think... You know, I, I think there's going to need to be some moves made this off season. I think it's going to. There's some clear priorities, right? Whether they'll be met with actual money or resources is <laughs> an open question, as it always is with this front office. And yeah, sometimes it comes true. I mean, some, sometimes they go trade for Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt, and sometimes they sit pat for multiple off seasons and do basically nothing. So, right, we shall see. Um, and, and, you know, I guess we can kind of segue here. Another team that's in an interesting position in terms of not quite the exact same position as the Cardinals, but mm-hmm. the Yankees are now sitting there wondering, do they need to change the formula? Yeah. What do we do now? Um, yeah. Because, you know, you correctly predicted the, the Red Sox taking down the Yankees in the AL wildcard game.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, six to two was the final score there. Uh, you know, uh Nathan Nivaldi was very impressive. Five and a third, eight strikeouts. Garrett Cole was rocked for two home runs, two walks, Mm -hmm. three earned runs. He was chased in just a couple innings and, uh, the Red Sox, you know, it was a four run game, but really the Red Sox seemed to be, it was pretty convincing, not incredibly convincing, but pretty Mm -hmm. convincing. Uh, Xander Bogarts, Homer, Kyle Schwarber, Homer, Alex Verdugo had a couple of big hits and, uh, you know, Garrett Cole was supposed to be the Yankees big time, big game pitcher. And of course it's just one game. Nobody's saying Garrett Cole's a bust, but right. he didn't get it done on that big stage. And Nathan Evaldi uh, did. And the Red Sox offense uh, was there, the Yankees offense, which as you mentioned, can be great, but you stressed the inconsistency of, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it didn't show up well enough. And all of a sudden now the Yankees, you uh, you know, in a situation where it's not clear necessarily Aaron Boone's contract is up and it's not clear what's going to happen. There's been a lot of rumors and reports about other managers and things confirmed like this guy's coming back. This guy's not. And Aaron Boone's sitting there unclear what the situation is going to be. He hasn't, he said it like last week, he hasn't had any conversations with anybody about returning next year. I imagine that'll change soon if it hasn't already. Right. But, uh, You know, I I don't think there's much of a real argument to say Aaron Boone has to go. I think this is much more a roster construction thing than a managing thing. But, I mean, that hasn't stopped ownership from firing managers of teams in the past. I mean, it's, you know, so I I don't know what's going to happen there. But uh, I think it just goes to show, like, what you said, that this Yankees team doubling down on these all or nothing sluggers mm-hmm. and not reinforcing their starting rotation with a second or third ace. Now, of course, that didn't really factor in this game, right. but uh, that strategy leaves you really vulnerable in situations like this. Uh, yeah. And just in the playoffs in general. So I don't know if they can really deconstruct. I mean, c- can they make a pivot? Are they really ever going to pivot from that like all or nothing home run <laughs> power approach? Right. I don't know. Maybe they should. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. I don't know. But uh, the Red Sox live to fight another day and are now, as we talk, just one uh, win away from taking down the Rays.
0: Yeah, uh, they have definitely uh, proven themselves that they are proven to everybody that they belong. Uh, getting out of the wild card game now, going up two games to one on the 100 win Rays. Um, but back to the, uh, the, the game against the Yankees. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. looking at the box score here, and there's a, a few takeaways uh, for me. Um, first of all, obviously the Yankees uh, offense, uh, they had six hits total. Uh, three of them came off the bat of Giancarlo Stanton, um, who's been, you know, he was swinging a hot bat all through uh, really the last couple weeks of the season. He continued that into this game. It wasn't enough. Uh, he had a home run in the ninth inning off of Garrett Whitlock for the Red Sox, um, one of only two runs that the Yankees would score. Uh, everybody else combined for just three hits, uh, one apiece for Rizzo and Aaron Judge, and then uh, uh, Gio Urshela also had a base hit as well. Um, but the, the Yankees only had one at-bat with runners in scoring position. They got one guy to the second base Once. Uh, so that's, that's not a recipe for success. Um, and then uh, walks, walks have been a, a big uh, issue in multiple series uh, in the postseason. And they were a big uh, factor in this game as well. Seven walks for Yankees pitching zero walks for Red Sox pitching. Um, Cause you look, I mean, you look at the box score, the Red Sox only had seven hits, but they had seven walks as well. Um, you know, two apiece for, for Devers and Bogarts. Uh, and then Alex Verdugo had the, uh, the knockout blow. Uh, I believe uh, that was in the, the seventh inning. He had a big two run double um, that kind of put that game out of reach uh, for the Yankees. If it wasn't already um, big home run from Xander Bogarts early on in the bottom of the first, that kind of set the tone. Uh, for the rest of the night for the Red Sox. Kyle Schwarber added a homer as well. Um, and then on all the credit in the world to Nathan Ivaldi. That was kind of my thought on top of the, the Yankees offense and their inconsistency was, you know, looking at Garrett Cole's, you know, game logs last two or three starts. He'd gotten hit around pretty significantly. And I know everybody says Garrett Cole, you know, postseason Garrett Cole is a whole different monster but, uh, he did not go into the postseason, uh, inspiring much confidence. And, you know, I talked about it last week as well. Evaldi had shut down the Yankees, I think five out of six or four out of five starts that he had faced them. And again, right here, uh, he, he was able to repeat that performance. So that com- those two factors combined, uh, were kind of my, uh, contributed to my prediction, um, but, yeah, I mean, the Red Sox just they, – they played better and they proved that they deserve to be uh, in that spot. And uh, they uh, are on the verge of going to the ALCS. Um, if they can take down uh, the Rays tonight, that game starts at 6.07 Central Time, 7.07 Eastern Time. That's on FS1. Um, but, uh, Chris, any thoughts, any final thoughts about the Red Sox and Yankees uh, before we hop into uh, some recaps of what we've seen in the division series yet.
1: Yeah. The only thing I would say, you know, I, it's just sort of p- to piggyback what you had been mentioning there it, with Garrett Cole, it really was a very interesting season for Garrett Cole, because you look at the final numbers and he is a Cy Young contender. Yep. He led the American league in wins with 16, He pitched 181 innings. He has a three, two, three ERA, which, Maybe isn't as good as a, a tip, well, isn't as good as a typical Cy Young winner, but yeah. still a, a very good season overall. But the way he got to that was <laughs> very strange because yeah. you know he got off to this incredible start for the most part, and then there was the the foreign substance crackdown, and then mm-hmm. he was just struggling mightily. I mean, just like five earned runs, two earned runs, two five earned runs, four earned runs, seven earned runs.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, he was the guy we were talking about more than almost anybody else in that mm-hmm. foreign substance crackdown. And then, you know, it was like, is he going to be the same? Is he an ace anymore? What is this? And then yeah. he seemed to figure it out. And he had, you know, like four or five, six starts in a row where he was only giving up zero, one, maybe a two-earn run outing. Yeah. And so it seemed like, okay, he's figured it out. And then, like you said, down the stretch, his final three starts, seven-earn runs, three-earn runs, five-earn runs, and then this playoff starts. So it's yeah. – I don't know what to make of it. I don't know how much foreign substance crackdown is – it makes, means anything. Yeah. I don't know what to make of it for him moving forward. It's clear he's a great starter, but the lack of consistency, is that going to be something that continues? Uh that would just be a very bad additional if, if that's the case, it would be another <laughs> factor of uncertainty, of inconsistency thrown into a Yankees roster that already has that struggle on the offensive side. So uh right. that would that would certainly be a big blow. But uh congrats to the Red Sox. I know we'll talk more about the, their series here with Tampa Bay here in just a second. Uh, do you want to start with, uh, as we dive into the division series, let's go ahead and start with your team here. Yeah. Uh, the White Sox taking on the Astros, some controversy <laughs> involved in this series, a bad start to the series for the White Sox, but they put yeah. up some fight in game three. Uh, what are you, what is sort of your, you know, takeaway or, or your sort of, you know, things of note or recap yeah. or whatever you want to share on this one?
0: Yeah, so uh, definitely not the, uh, the start that uh, the White Sox wanted to get off to. The, the first two games were pretty rough. The first uh, game one was, um, you know, sort of expected. Um, you know, you can second guess the, the decision to start Lance Lynn uh, over Lucas Giolito in game one, all you want. I know that was a big uh, discussion on Twitter, especially after uh, that result uh, went final. Um, because the, the Astros are one of the best or the best fastball-hitting team in baseball, and Lance Lynn throws about 95% fastball, whether it be a, a four-seam, a sinker, or a cutter. Um, but, you know, he was our best pitcher, you know, for most, if not all, of the season, and you can't not, you know, he's earned that start in game one of, of a playoff series. Um, so the fact that he, he didn't perform... You know, well expected. Um, you know, he's he's got a job to do, and uh, he he didn't do it uh, great. But also, the offense uh, just wasn't there. Just one run that came across in the eighth inning. Um, put a uh, put together seven hits, uh, just not enough, um, not enough offense altogether. Um, and that's kind of uh, my philosophy on that one. Uh, it Doesn't matter how good or bad uh, the pitching was going to be, you got to score runs to win. Uh, especially in the playoffs uh, game two was a little bit, uh, a little bit better in terms of offense, but uh, question, some questionable decisions as far as uh, bullpen utilization. And uh, from Tony, the perspective, uh, Michael Kopeck did not make an appearance in this game. Um, and that was a big question mark uh, from a lot of people, why he wasn't given an opportunity to come into this, this game. Um, Tim Anderson and Luis Robert. Put together uh, three hit games. Um, and uh, Jose Abreu also had two hits. Luis Robert and Tim Anderson have been absolutely incredible. Tim Anderson has the most uh, hits through his first uh, five postseason games. He had 13 hits. And then after yesterday's game, he has 16 hits through his first six games, uh, which is the most ever and just absolutely incredible. Five of his six postseason games uh, have been three hit games. Um, which, again, just insane bat-to-ball skills uh, for Tim Anderson, and he's putting that on display on the national stage, which is awesome to see. Um, pitching-wise in this game, it was uh, Lucas Giolito. He wasn't great. Um, he, he ran into issues with walks, and that is a recurring theme in this series. The White Sox have been uh, hurt a lot by just walking guys, walking guys to lead off innings, walking guys with two outs and breathing life into uh, the Astros offense. Um, You know, it was, it was, it was a close game, you know, it was four, four uh, going to the seventh inning. And then uh, the floodgates opened. Um, It was, uh, there was a couple of uh, defensive miscues for the White Sox, a big three run Homer uh, or two run Homer for Kyle Tucker, who's been swinging the bat uh, incredibly well uh, in this series and just, uh, just a rough game. Um, especially after that five run seventh and that would be the final score nine to nine to four. Um, and then last night it was a long game, four and a half hours, um, uh, a lot of scoring early. Uh, most of the scoring happened or nearly all of the scoring happened before, uh, the fifth inning. Um, but just, just a, a very good display of offense, uh, from the White Sox. Another three hit game from Tim, An- Tim Anderson, White Sox actually got their first extra base hit of the series uh, in the, what was it? The third inning with a two run home run by Yasmani Grandal. Uh, And then they added a three, uh, yeah, three run homer by uh, Larry Garcia later on in that, in that frame. Um, And just uh, that, that's what the White Sox have to do is they have to hit the long ball, especially in the postseason, And that was kind of the, uh, the common theme throughout the regular season. They kind of lived and died by uh, hitting the home run. So uh, Dylan Cease was chased in the second inning. He, he was great in the first uh, and then walks came back to bite him again. Walks uh, were, were a big factor early. Um, just one walk for the rest of the game through the five pitchers that the White Sox used out of the bullpen, Michael Kopak, Ryan Tapera, Aaron Bummer, Craig Kimbrell, and Liam Hendricks uh, were all awesome. Those last four hitters. Uh, did not allow a base runner to the Astros. They were perfect uh, through the last, uh, I believe it's five innings. Um, and they, all of those pitchers combined to strike out, uh, let's see, 14 Astros. A team that doesn't strike out uh, really at all. And that was really awesome to see. Andrew Vaughn had a big at-bat off a lefty. The one lefty uh, in the, uh, in the uh, uh, Astros bullpen he had an RBI double to add some insurance in the bottom of the eighth inning and a pinch hit opportunity. And for a guy that was struggling down the stretch, uh, that was good to see get some confidence back in him. Um, Leary Garcia, obviously big, uh, big night for him. And uh, just, just a, a complete, uh, a complete win for the White Sox, I would say uh, minus the start by Dylan Cease, uh, everything else uh, went very, very well. And uh, no, it took four and a half hours to get there, but uh, finally won a game uh, in this series. And uh, unfortunately, today's game rained out. But that will be played uh, t- Tuesday when this episode comes out. But uh, I think, uh, you know, Carlos Rodon goes in goes in uh, game four. It's going to be very interesting. He'll definitely be on a short leash. And uh, this extra day of rest is definitely going to help the bullpen uh, be ready uh, for game four and be able to uh, help piggyback. Off of Rodon and whatever he's able to do, so cautiously optimistic about being able to force a game five. I think at this point, um, it's just a matter of, of uh, if if you're going to let the Astros beat you, make them hit the ball. Don't give don't give them free runners and that because that's the way they they just kill kill teams is free base runners and uh, timely hitting.
1: Yeah, this Astros lineup is way too talented to give them extra opportunities. You know, you yeah you Know the White Sox pitching, you know, obviously it hasn't been what you would have hoped in this series so far. Toledo, four earned runs, Lynn was five earned runs. Um, those are those are your top two guys. Like, you know, obviously that didn't go as planned, but you, you gotta, you know, you have to the offense needs to show up and be more consistent. Obviously, like, you know, we saw what they did in game three and you've, you've got to avoid mistakes on the pitching side because yeah. even a well-pitched game against the Astros, you may give up four or five runs to the Astros. Yeah. You're going to have to hope that your offense, which, you know, is, is capable of, of scoring six or seven, which the mm-hmm. White Sox offense certainly is. Um, you know, I think you hit on all the main things. I mean, yeah. I mean, I know you did, you know, all the major <laughs> points there, uh, yeah. you know, uh, Rodon's not going to have much of a, a leash, like you said, in game four, um, given the circumstances and also his struggles to some degree and the velocity concerns down the stretch.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So, you know, fingers crossed that that does, does go well. Um, (laughs) And we'll just kind of have to see. I mean, I just am, I'll just say, you know, one thing on the Astros side, I mean, I'm just so impressed with that lineup. I mean, they lose George Springer. They, you know, They've, they've had losses on the offensive side, and it just hasn't mattered because they've kept that core of Altuve and Bregman and Alvarez has been great and Guriel and Correa. I mean, they got Kyle Tucker batting like sixth or seventh. They had Kyle Tucker batting seventh yeah, in game one. Uh, one and in two. Game one. Yeah, games one and two of this series. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the best outfielders in the American League. And they got him batting <laughs> yeah. seventh because they still got Correa, Gurriel, Alvarez, Bregman, Brantley, Altuve. I mean, it's an incredible lineup and uh, yeah, very very few flaws uh, in it at all. So, you know, props to them for that. But uh, you know, it, it's really going to come down to whose pitching is more effective and and yep. can the. White Sox offense show some show some more life like they did in game three. Uh I know we also had a couple of controversies from this series. I'll let oh, yeah. you kind of set the scene for those.
0: So yeah, in the uh it was the big fourth inning uh from the for the White Sox in which they scored three runs. Um if I pull up the the play by play here um for the for the fourth inning. It was uh, very interesting. So it, was, uh, it started with an infield single uh, uh, by Tim Anderson. Uh, Luis Robert uh, singled to right field, and Tim Anderson would go to third. Jose Abreu drove in Tim Anderson uh, with a single up the middle, um, putting, putting the White Sox ahead seven to six. And then here's where it gets weird. Um, Zach Greinke came in the game. And gets a uh, a soft chopper off the bat of Yasmani Grandal to uh, the Astros first baseman uh, Yuli Gurriel. Um, the throw from Gurriel actually hit Grandal, and uh, the run scored because the ball deflected off of Grandal's shoulder and uh, passed the catcher Maldonado. So Luis Robert would score on on that uh, play. Um, and the controversy is where. Uh, Grandal was running down the baseline. Now, I thought for sure after the play initially happened that he would be called out um, for interference. But after hearing the rule, which was very nicely explained by the the broadcasting crew, and props to Adam Wainwright also, uh, as a little side note, he seemed very comfortable in the booth and uh, offered a lot of uh, uh, interesting insight from a player that's still uh, currently playing. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but after explaining the rule, it, it, it's all a matter of where Grandal establishes his running lane and he established it, uh, pretty well inside the, the first baseline. Um, and that may or may not have been on purpose just to force Guriel to make a tougher throw, but it, it was not at all, uh, illegal. Um, and basically it, it, you know, it's, 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 it, it's a heads-up play by Grandall to make Guriel throw that uh, – make a harder throw, basically. Um, so the the White Sox would get a run out of that. Another infield single on the next batter um, from uh, Jimenez. And then uh, they would add uh, another run on that play. And then uh, they that would be all the, the White Sox would need to win that game. But, yeah, that Grandall controversy, a lot of people um, – Thought that you know he was in the wrong and should have been called out, but after hearing kind of the discussion, uh, it was it was definitely uh, a weird play, but I think by all accounts uh, pretty legal.
1: Yeah, this was an interesting one where my thought process is involved on it as well. Um, you know, when I saw it, my initial reaction is like, "You, you can't do that! What are you doing? They should call Grandall out. That's that's yeah. not." that's okay. No I mean, he was very clearly multiple steps inside the baseline. He was running on the grass. Yeah. When he was hit. He was running on the grass and there's yeah. a baseline to run in and there's dirt for a couple feet, either direction. I mean, there was mm-hmm. plenty of room. It doesn't make a ton of sense why he would be, no, I've not been observing. Maybe that's how he runs all the time. I don't know, but it doesn't make a ton of sense inherently why he would be running that far inside yeah. other than that. He thought that might be a good idea because it might end up helping the situation. <laughs> for that play yeah. of the play. And so my initial instinct was like, he should have been called out. And yeah. I still understanding the rule, like you said, I think it's very clear that he did not mm-hmm. violate any rules now, yeah. whether that's <laughs> right or wrong and whether yeah. or not maybe the rule should be revisited or, you know, but I think it's clear because of the explanation, like you explained it. And I'm reading what the crew chief said, Tom Hallian, after the game, uh, you know, that there isn't a, because the throw was coming from first play first base to home and not home to first, Mm -hmm. that factors in because he never veered into the throw, you know, he didn't stick out his arm. That's in the factor. And because like you said, he established his running lane, even if Mm -hmm. it was a little bit off. And I don't know, you know, what the criteria would be like, well, if he was three more feet, five feet, like at some point your running lane can't be wherever you want it to be. Like if his running lane was like, you know, practically running down the, side of the dugout like yeah that's too many feet away from the baseline Mm -hmm. so like what what's the criteria there from when your running lane is too far away from the baseline i I don't know but um but overall i think i understand that being controversial play i understand the astros being upset about it but uh no rule was broken so i think the the umpire crew umpiring crew did made the right call there yeah uh, on that one yeah and then we have (laughs) this really uh you know, just to kind of, you know, in case you had forgotten or which I don't think anybody had forgotten, but in case, you know, it kind of slipped in the back of your mind, the whole sign stealing Astros thing. Yeah, you know, hadn't uh, Ryan Tapera decided he wanted to, to throw it out there some more. And he said, uh, implied after Sunday night's game that the Astros might be stealing signs when they play at home. Yeah, saying uh, they've obviously had a reputation of doing some sketchy stuff over there. So we can say that's a little bit of a difference. I think you saw some swings and misses tonight compared with the first two games at Minute Maid Park, implying that he thinks there's still something or could be something going on with the Astros at their home park. Mm-hmm. And so then that got a lot of attention. And then shortly before we started recording this, Dusty Baker, you know, basically said, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> this is this is, and you know, I think we're actually playing better. Uh, they're playing better at home than on the road, and. And Baker saying and I don't have much response to that other than I was listening to Eric Clapton this morning, and he had a song "Don't Accuse Me." Before uh, before you accuse me, take a look at yourself. Yeah, that's all I got to say. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a weird thing because, I mean, that's a heavy accusation, and that's right. what Dusty Baker said today. Is that's mm-hmm. a heavy thing? Just you can't just kind of just throw that in there and expect it to not get people's attention to lead to questions, right? Mm-hmm. But man, how like I understand players on other teams are still upset about how that was handled by Major League Baseball and the fact that Astros players didn't face consequences. Yeah. And that doesn't just go away. I get it. There's a carryover there. Yeah. But man, if you're going to say something like this, you better have something to back it up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You better have something other than just like, oh, they were swinging and missing more when they weren't playing at home. I, I better yeah. just, hmm, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Well, maybe it was the pictures you had in the the given night. It's baseball, you know, like, man, if you don't have something to back that up, that's uh, not something you could just throw out there. And how stupid would the Astros have to be? I mean, you know how much of a microscope's on I mean, how stupid would you have to be to be trying to pull something right now if you're the Astros? Yeah. I mean, let alone the fact that I, I mean, (laughs) you know, Dusty Baker, I, you know, if nothing, I just, that would just stun, Mm -hmm. I mean. And how dumb would you have to, I don't know. I don't know what your
0: thoughts are on this. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's definitely something that I think is on the mind of most, if not all of the White Sox pitchers um, sure. in this series, just because of, you know, the, the way it was handled and kind of the the um, stigma that's now attached to the Astros. Um, yeah. But I mean, you, you look at, And almost any team in baseball is just going to play better at home. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you're able to go home every, you know, every night after a game, you're able to sleep in your own bed, keep, you know, kind of be in that just routine. You're in a clubhouse you're familiar with, you have your, you know, your, uh, your routine. And when you go on the road, that's a little bit disrupted. And I mean, the white Sox, (laughs) the white Sox had the best record at home in the American league this year. So, um, And the Astros weren't far behind. They were only two games worse. So, you know, I think that adds a different aspect uh, or some more context maybe to this situation. Um, is Is he entirely, you know, unjustified in making those comments? I don't think so. But, you know, maybe don't make those comments when you still have to win two games. Uh, including at least one, uh, well, one at Minute Maid Park when those fans are going to come back and just, you know, completely, uh, you know, try to tear you to shreds for anything you said, just like the, the White Sox fans were doing to, uh, the Astros last night. I mean, you heard it all night when, you know, especially when Altuve Correa and Bregman would come to the plate, you know, they were getting booed every single time cheater was being chanted, um. So, you know, it's, it's, it's post-season baseball and the fans are going to show no mercy. So, um, I think all that to say, just, uh, would I have Riley, he not said it probably. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it definitely adds another narrative to this, to this, uh, the series and, uh, it's just going to be very interesting to see how the rest, uh, the, the last game or two plays out depending on the, the result tomorrow.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I don't think I have any more thoughts on this. I think yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Are you uh yeah. any final thoughts on this series? Or are you ready to move on to, to Red Sox Rays?
0: No, I think it's uh it's gonna be very uh interesting. I'll be watching intently tomorrow and uh just hoping that Rodon can uh get back to his midseason form. He was, you know, the one White Sox pitcher that was able to Uh, mostly shut down the Houston offense in both of his starts against the Astros uh, during the season. So I'm hoping even with the, you know, diminished velocity a little bit, I'm hoping he's able to find a little bit of that magic and uh, keep the White Sox or try to keep the White Sox alive uh, for a game five. Um, But that's, that's all I have about the White Sox. Just hoping that they can at least force a game five uh, in Houston and wherever that goes, that goes. Um, But we'll go to the, we'll go to Red Sox Rays now. Another controversy. Uh, lots, of, uh, lots of controversies happening oh, yes. here, um, at least on the American League side. Not so much on the, uh, the National League side, but uh, and, uh, a controversy in Game 3 of the Red Sox-Rays series uh, involving a ground rule double that was uh, that deflected off of a, a fielder. Um, that hit off the wall. It kind of one hop the wall and then hit off of uh, Hunter Renfro, the Red Sox right fielder and went uh, over the fence. Um, and uh, if that ball had been played properly and gotten in, it was likely that a run was going to score for the Rays. And now this was in the uh, the 13th inning, I believe, the top of the 13th inning. Um, game tied at four. And uh, they determined that the runners uh, would only get, uh, would go back to where they were just on a standard ground rule double. So there, there, there was a run around first. Uh, he obviously would not score on a ground rule double, but, uh, you know, he, everybody had to hold up and it was a de- debate because, you know, it was deflected off of a fielder and, you know, what, should they have played that as if, you know, it was the, the run likely would have scored if it was played properly. And, and Kevin Kiermeyer, the, the player who hit the, do- the, the double, uh, probably would have made it to third as well. Um, obviously that game ended on a two run walk-off home run. Uh, so that run, that first run would not have mattered, but if Kiermaier had scored, uh, after that, um, we, we might be looking at a completely different series. So Chris, kind of, what are your thoughts on them? I don't, I don't really have a whole lot of thoughts formulated. I don't have a really strong opinion because I think this is such an odd play. Um, but what are your, kind of your thoughts on this one?
1: yeah so i mean i think what's very clear is that the umpires called this correctly they they called this by the rule of what it is so this is not an on the umpires thing i think the real discussion is just you know should the does the rule need to be changed because of the possibility of something like this happening which is incredibly rare but should it happen the stakes and like we saw in this game is this was game three on uh, Sunday, Sunday night. Um, yeah. the stakes can be enormously high, even if it only happens once every 15 years. I mean, it's yeah. still, it's still a possibility. Um, you know and i guess there's the idea that you know as rare as this could ever be but somebody mentioned you know hey that's a that's a trick (laughs) if you if you're an outfielder and you have somehow have the wherewithal to be able to knock a ball over the wall in that situation (laughs) you know like a ball bounces off the wall and you're you know there's a runner on first and you can just swat it over the wall uh Mm -hmm. then you can keep that runner from scoring from first uh not that that i think is anything that oh man the wherewithal and like ability it would take to do that in the moment would be uh right quite something for an outfielder but yeah I think I I I don't know I think the rule probably needs to be changed I don't know Mm -hmm. if there's going to be enough momentum for it to ever really get changed I don't know how you would approach it Mm um I mean because it would be such a like i mean what do you what do you do how do you do you not call that a ground rule double do you say yeah. it's a ground rule double but the runner on first gets to go three bases instead of two right. does that happen on every ground rule double or yeah. just ones where the ball gets knocked over the, i mean i don't know how you change the rule yeah it, it's one of these weird things where baseball has all these rules and it's been played for so many decades and centuries and yet yeah. there can still be these things where you're like well that happened yeah, it's really rare. Do we need to change something? <laughs> How do we change something? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Uh, an unfortunate situation. I understand the. it's another one where, like, I get the raised frustration. Mm-hmm. The Red Sox also didn't do anything wrong. It's not obvious that, uh, uh who was the Verdugo? Is that who it was? I think or, it was uh,
0: Renfro out there and right.
1: Renfro, uh, yeah. He did obviously, obviously, he didn't swat. He wasn't trying to play any, you know, yeah, incredible, you know, mind tricks, swatting it over the wall, you mm-hmm. know, incredible strategic moves. Uh it's just a an unfortunate situation. And
0: yeah.
1: I, you know, I it, we'll see. I think it'd be good to try ch- to change the rule, but it opens up sort of a whole can of worms on how you would do that and under what situations.
0: Totally um, agree. Yeah.
1: So the Red Sox ended up winning that game three in 13 innings uh yeah. on a, a very dramatic walk-off oh, two run home run by Christian Vasquez, uh who wasn't even the catcher, wasn't even the starting catcher for this game. hmm Kevin Plawecki was the starter. Vasquez came in, got three at bats, including that uh, that home run uh, in the 13th. bottom of the thirteenth inning. Obviously, yeah. uh, Renfro scoring on that. So the Red Sox have a two to one series lead. Um, yeah. You know, the Rays jumped out to, to the early series, uh, early one nothing uh, game lead in that series mm-hmm. uh, because they shut out the Red Sox in Game One. Shane McClanahan it seems to be their next. Their next young ace that they just you know, pull. I mean, turn out. come out of thin air. They yeah. just turn them out. Yeah. yeah, he was a big prospect, but still, like they just he just periods he first mm-hmm. real season in the majors, and he just you know does that five inning scoreless, uh, no walks yeah. against the Red Sox lineup that just did what we talked about to the Yankees. So, mm-hmm. uh, but in game two we saw things. We saw that the Red Sox offense can. I mean, what they can do at their best is so. <laughs> tremendous as an offense even though they're not as deep of an offense as like the astros for example right in my mind uh what devers bogarts verdugo martinez are capable of doing uh combining for seven 11 hits in that game between the four of those players uh, yeah they scored 14 runs and against again the rays and they they couldn't they couldn't raise their way into (laughs) Magic with the pitching. I mean, they had they had guys give up three earned, three earned, two earned. Michael Walker came up and gave in six earned runs. Like, it's right. uh, it's not a foolproof thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, it's so, so sort of like a tale of you know, can the Rays pitching hold the Red Sox or not in game one yeah. and two, and then game three was was so dramatic and everything. So the Rays are certainly not out of this no. uh, like, well, at least as of we us talking now, but at the time <laughs> somebody hears this on Tuesday, maybe they are. That's right. why it's hard to give too much analysis, but uh, this is one where it's, it is not over until the final out is recorded, especially if you're the Red Sox and you're trying to close this out against the Rays.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not over until it's over because this is a Rays team with a lot of fight in them.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, yeah. I mean, you look at, just just the offensive production after game one. I mean, games two and three for the Red Sox, especially game two. Obviously, they put up 14 runs. I mean, you have Kike Hernandez with a five-hit game, including three doubles and a homer. Uh, J.D. Martinez with four hits, three RBIs. Verdugo and Bogarts, three hits apiece. Christian Vasquez even had three hits. I mean, they had 20 hits total, so... Um, definitely a, a tough lineup to shut down, which makes what McClanahan did in Game One all that more impressive. Um, but I think um, one thing I wanted to mention uh, in Game One, we saw what Randy or Rose and Raina did, and you know, oh boy, postseason Randy's back, right? We remember, all remember what he did last postseason with the ten home runs. Um, you know, he's he's a solid player uh, in the regular season, but it's like when when October rolls around, there's a whole Different level that he can reach. You know, he and in game one, obviously, he he hit a home run and he stole home, he stole home, uh, straight steal a home. Um, just in- incredible to watch uh, that kind of play out. Uh, first player ever to hit a home run and steal home in the same postseason game. Um, so I just wanted to uh, mention uh, that and, uh, the Red Sox better watch out because uh, backs against the wall for the Rays. Uh, I think, uh, I think Randy Rosarine is going to make a, make an appearance and, and make a uh, significant impact in game four later tonight. So you can, you can uh, write that one down. And if I'm wrong, we'll, we'll just ignore it next week. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, the Rays are certainly not out of this game. Um Later today, it's going to be Eduardo Rodriguez versus Colin McHugh um, for the Rays. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens, because I definitely think that uh, the Rays are going to be uh, they're going to be a tough out. And they always are. And, uh, you know, the Red Sox have to have to uh, make sure that they win this game because otherwise they have to go back uh, back on the road. And I know Tropicana field's not necessarily, uh, the greatest home field advantage, uh, in baseball, but it's, it's not easy to win on the road, especially in the postseason. So, uh, crucial game for both teams. And, uh, it's going to be very exciting, uh, no matter how it plays out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think a a good point on the Rosarana, uh, just, he seems to have a knack now it's two postseasons in a row, uh, where he's doing this. So, uh, (laughs) Yeah, I, I it's gonna be a really interesting one. Uh Rays obviously still in it, but again, the Red Sox, uh, they're a very legit team. And, you know, uh the possibility, and I'm want to get too far ahead of myself, but uh the possibility of the Red Sox advancing, and you know, uh obviously we hope it's the White Sox. I know you hope it's the White yeah. Sox, but a, a Rays a Red Sox Astros uh, matchup from an offensive perspective would oh, be yeah something to behold a lot of um, runs there could, there could be a lot of runs scored if that is indeed the series but yeah White Sox and Ray is going to do their best to uh, avoid that getting to be the case yeah so um I guess uh you ready to move on to the National League side yeah let's let's go the other way now all right so we have uh Braves and Brewers let's go ahead and start there um that one actually as we speak game three is in progress
0: just one uh, final actually
1: Oh, did it? Okay. What's Literally the in the war,
0: I watched it flip from ninth inning to, to final. So yeah, you're, you're good there.
1: Okay. So, so we had a game one go to the Brewers by a score of two to one. That was a, mm-hmm. a pitcher, pitcher's duel between Corbin Burns and Charlie Morton, both going six innings, mm-hmm. Morton allowing two earned runs, Burns, none. Uh, the Braves were able to score a runoff of Adrian Hauser, but uh, the Brewers won two to one thanks to a seventh inning homer from uh, from, uh, from, uh, uh the first baseman, who was that? Rowdy Tellez. Rowdy Tellez. <laughs> thank you. Rowdy Tellez. Yeah. Uh, two run Homer, but a real good pitchers duel. That was a really good first game from a yeah. pitching perspective. Uh, yeah. game three, the Braves, uh, bounce back to get the win, uh, in what was another good pitching performance from the Braves this time for Max freed. Yeah. Uh, six innings, no word runs. Brandon Woodruff was not as sharp for the Brewers but again still got six innings in the in the books uh the Braves scoring on Austin Riley Homer Ozzy Albee's double and a Freddie Freeman single Uh in that one and so that's how we got to today and uh, that one just went final and it is another three to nothing victory for the Braves so two straight 3-0 victories this time it was Ian Anderson with a strong start for the Braves. So mm-hmm. three straight, really good starts for the Braves. The first one, Charlie Morton, wasn't quite enough, but then Max Fried and Ian Anderson, both with, with, with very good outings. Mm. And uh, the only only uh, scoring of the game came on a Jock Peterson, three-run home run for Atlanta. Yeah, And the Braves have a 2 nothing series lead. So I, I think the takeaways here, at least in my mind, are kind of straightforward. It's yeah. pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the Brewers are very much still in this, but I look at this and just from what I just said, looking at these box scores, uh, the Brewers' offensive struggles getting exposed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, we knew that the Brewers had the better starting rotation, they had mm-hmm. the better top three, mm-hmm. and that the Braves had the much better lineup. Yeah. But the Braves still had a decent, a very solid top three starting pitchers as well, and Morton, Fried, and Anderson. Mm-hmm. And they all delivered against a Brewers lineup that just is probably the weakest of any team in the postseason. Right. Meanwhile, the Braves, even without the Cunhas and Ozunas of the world, they've put in these pieces. They've Jock Peterson's and Jorge Solares from the trade deadline and yeah. Freeman, Albies, Riley. They still had such a deep lineup that their pitching didn't need to be quite as good as the Brewers. They yeah. just needed to, to get, a couple, get to the Brewers just enough uh-huh. and uh i think it's just sort of exposing like you know i thought that this series could be close because of the brewers top three like yeah could be interesting because of the brewers top three pitchers are were so good yeah. but that offense is just so much weaker now watch the go score 12 runs tomorrow or something but <laughs> that offense is yeah. just so much weaker than the braves right uh, because christian yelich has just not been what we've seen from a few years ago in a while now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Luis Arias and Rose uh, and Teyes and, and Sil Garcia, like these are okay players, but they just don't have stars. They can count on right on a level of a Freeman, a Riley, a Bogarts, a Devers, a, a you know, and so on and so forth. Right. Um, and so I think that's really, you know, pretty clear how that's kind of all played out, whether it, it, it ends in a, in a brave series win or not, I'm going to have to, wait and see, but I think sort of the tale of this series and how it's played out, is, is seems pretty clear.
0: Yeah. I, I would agree with you. I mean, it, it seemed so clear. I mean, even when we talked about it last week, it was, you know, our, it was the series that we both thought was going to be the most clear cut. You know, the rivers were going to take it in three or four games, you know, and just move on. They've got the better pitching. And I think, and this is pretty common, I think, around all of baseball people discounted the Braves lineup, you know? And like you were talking about, they still have Freddie Freeman, Ozzie Albies, Austin Riley, Adam Duvall, Jorge Soler, Dansby Swanson. I mean, you look up and down this lineup and while it's not, you know, on the level of like a Houston or something like that, or even Boston, it's very good. There's really not a major weak point in it. You know, you got guys like uh, Soler and Duval who can just hit the ball out of the ballpark at a moment's notice, and then Freeman and Albies and Austin Riley, they can do that as well. But they also, you know, get on base uh, at a pretty high rate, and they have those that gap, that gap to gap power. Um, and it's just, you know, you got to be so good if your Milwaukee's pitching because your offense is really not on that level or even close to that level. Um, You, you just have to be almost flawless because, you know, they've put up two runs over three games and that's just not a recipe for success. You can do that once, maybe twice, like they did in game one, but with a lineup like the Braves, you know, allowing three runs in a postseason game, that's, that's pretty solid because a lot of those lineups are going to be, you know, the best in baseball. But if you if you don't have a an offense that can score any runs, it's not going to matter. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Exactly. i
1: I you know, yeah, you just you can't get shut down like this. And, you know, the Braves starting pitching is not as good as their top three, but it's still yeah. like I mean, you're going to have to It's the playoffs you're going to yeah. have to face good starting rotation. I mean, these are the best pitchers on some good teams, whether it's the the Braves top three, whether it's then, you know, the, the Giants, the Dodgers, like yeah. it, it, it doesn't, I get that maybe over the course of a full season, it could work when especially when you beat up on weaker opponents and mm-hmm. you just, you know, your, your pitching is just so dominant that like, you only need a run or two and you're facing bad teams. So you can get that. Yeah. But in a playoff series, I, I don't know. And I don't know how much to make out of it because you know, it's not like the, the Braves have been scoring runs after runs after runs in this series. The Brewers' pitching has been okay. Yeah, it's just it doesn't like it doesn't matter how okay or even elite it is if you're if you're getting one or zero runs a game, like you said. Mm-hmm. So, I I don't know how that one will play out. I'm I I think even if the Brewers somehow pull this off, yeah. I just, the chances of them getting past the Giants or Dodgers.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, they're going to be so, it would be such underdogs in that matchup. The Braves are yeah. going to be underdogs in that matchup, but right uh, the Brewers would be such underdogs in that matchup. I don't know how they get to the, especially if it was the Dodgers pitching. Yeah. I, I don't even know what you, what you do. I, yeah, yeah. They, they they're definitely <laughs> seeming like the weakest team in this postseason.
0: Yeah. And it uh, just one final thought that I had was it emphasizes this series I think emphasizes the importance of being as well-rounded as possible because you look at the other 7 teams in in the playoffs and you know the 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 Rays they have the pitching they have the bullpen they have the offense the Red Sox they have a really good offense their pitching is good enough and their, you know, their bullpen is good enough. The Giants, obviously, we know about them. And the Dodgers, we know about them. The Braves, like we've been saying, their lineup is very solid and their pitching is good enough. And the Astros and White Sox, we talked about them as well. You know, the Astros, probably big, biggest weak point is their bullpen. And the, the White Sox, uh, biggest weak point is is their, uh, just their inconsistent offense. But they have the ability. They have guys that can... You know, produce at a high level offensively on any given night. And with the Brewers, you know their their starting pitching is so good; their offense just isn't there. I mean, you look it up and down the lineup, and Colton Wong, eh, Lily Adamas, I guess Christian Yelich hasn't been great. Avisel Garcia, meh. I mean, you just go up and down, and it's like these aren't guys that you would expect to see on a postseason roster. And they're definitely not producing uh, like they belong in the playoffs uh, at, any, at any level. So, you know, I think it just emphasizes the need that, yeah, they, they won their division and they won 95 games, I think. But the postseason is a whole different beast. And you have to, you have to be uh, at least above average in, in every aspect, in every aspect of the game.
1: Yeah, having a weakness that extreme. I mean, you look at the strengths and weaknesses of every team in the playoff, and there probably isn't a weakness for any for any team more than the lineup, the offense is for the Brewers. Yeah. Uh, and so exactly. like I said, it doesn't matter how good your other strengths are if you have a weakness that that bad. I mean, at least yeah. at least that's you're setting yourself up for, for bad things if your weakness is is that glaring.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Sure.
1: Uh, So I guess we can kind of uh, move on here to the two powerhouses battling it out. uh, The Dodgers, after getting past the Cardinals, um, (laughs) taking on the Giants, taking on the Giants in a series that, I mean, it's got to be the most, uh, you know, anticipated. I'm I'm guessing probably the most watched of any of the four division series Mm -hmm. is the 206, I guess it is, win teams. uh, The two highest win totals in all of baseball battling it out. And uh, they have a game, they have game three of that series is coming up tonight, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, yep. coming up uh, later this season, later Monday night. Uh, so one team will have a 2-1 nothing, two advantage come Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, that series uh, started with a Giants victory. Uh, as the Giants pitching was, was phenomenal, led by Logan Webb. Yeah, not a guy who we probably mentioned his name a couple times, but <laughs> not a name you a lot of people think of as like oh an ace. Yeah, uh, he was like been there number two or three starter, and seven and two thirds. Again, this is the postseason in twenty twenty one. Going seven plus innings for your starter is really impressive. Yeah. seven and two thirds, no walks, 10 strikeouts against, again, the Dodgers. Yes. Uh, Max Muncy Dodgers, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, still, and Cody Bellinger, not, you know, normal Cody Bellinger Dodgers, but still a uh, phenomenal performance from Webb and the giants got to Walker Bueller just enough. Bueller wasn't horrible, but Buster Posey hit a two run Homer, Bryant Homer, Crawford, Homer giants scrapped together just enough offense as they do. And, uh, man, seeing the Dodgers get shut out was, was really something in game one. And, and then game two, the Dodgers did bounce back uh, and the offense really came alive. Uh, The Giants couldn't repeat the pitching success. They had the first game Mm -hmm. uh, as it was Kevin Gaussman, Kevin Gossman on the mound, four runs and five and a third. And some of their relievers got, got lit up uh, by the Dodgers Giants scored just a couple runs off of uh, Julio Arias, one off of Arias, one off of Kelly. The Giants, the Dodgers' pitching was good, in their offense—you um, had two hit games from Chris Taylor, from AJ Pollock, and you had just one hits from uh, one hit from Bats Seeger, Turner, Smith. I mean, there was just off up and down the lineup contributions from the Giants, yeah, uh, from from the Dodgers. Sorry, I should say in that one. <laughs> uh, so that's how we got to this point Uh, and that's why we're at as we're talking a one-to-one series tie Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just hard to know what to do with two games like this like i I don't i don't know who has the edge i mean logan webb was masterful game one yeah and and that's the story of game one and he was able to just keep the dodgers completely in check Mm -hmm. um game two the dodgers did what the dodgers do and they got they got to the giants pitching enough i I don't know what's going to what's more likely to happen the rest of the way. I mean, clearly, again, we could say it over and over the Dodgers being the stronger team on paper, but yeah, it, it doesn't matter at some point, you know, you know, and I honestly am very curious. This is one of those ones where I don't have a lot of analysis. I'm just like, okay, let's tune in. Let's see what happens. I, yeah. don't, I don't know. The giants could do this or the Dodgers could do this. I mean, it's not a very fun, it's not a very hot take or there's nothing <laughs> very creative about analysis here, but
0: yeah,
1: mm-hmm. uh, uh, I don't know if you have any more complex thoughts than my very uh, boring thoughts.
0: No, I mean, I, there, there's only so much. There's only so much potential for a hot take about two teams that won 106 plus games and are now both in the playoffs playing each other that you can make. So um, I definitely don't have any hot takes. Uh, I want to give uh, some props and a shout out to Logan Webb. Uh, and just going along with the whole Giants kind of season of guys that you really wouldn't have thought would be like the star, one of the best players on, on that team. But Logan Webb, uh, he uh, between May 11th and uh, let's see, September 2nd uh, that's a stretch of 14 starts in a row. He missed some time in June, uh, but 14 straight starts allowing it two earn runs or less. Um, and just, he, he showed why he was one of the best pitchers on this team in game one, uh, shutting down a very, very good, uh, Dodgers lineup. He did that, uh, back in May, uh, allowed, going five innings, just allowing one earned run. He did that again, back-to-back starts in July, uh, five innings and six innings, allowing two earned runs and one earned run. Um, and the giants would win, uh, all three of those starts. Um, And then he did not face them again for the rest of the season. Um, But just one of those guys that he's, he's found something, the giants have found something in him and he's proven that he uh, has the potential, at least to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, We'll see how that, how he kind of develops next season um, after, you know, kind of doing this, see if he can prove himself that he can do it again. Um, But just, it's, it's a very entertaining series. I mean, we saw what the Giants did best in game one. We saw what the Dodgers did best in game two. And it's just, you know, it's a best of three at this point. Um, and, and the, uh, the Dodgers uh, have that home field advantage at this point in that best of three uh, with the next two games uh, happening at Dodger Stadium. And that could prove to be a, a deciding factor. But, you know, we've said in the past, don't count the Giants out. And uh, that's, uh, I'm not going to do it. I haven't done it all season and I'm not going to start now. So it's just going to be a very entertaining series and uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. starting tonight uh, in game three uh, at Dodger stadium, it's going to be Scherzer versus Alex Wood. So very interesting pitching matchup. Uh, Alex Wood, of course, the former Dodger uh, on a lot of those uh, teams that made deep postseason runs uh, for the Dodgers. Um, and he was on that world series winning team, uh, last year as well. So, um, on the other side this time, but it's definitely going to be fun to watch. Uh, and Chris, you got any final uh, thoughts about, uh, about this series. It's going to be fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it really is. I don't, I don't think so. Other than that, this is the one that, I mean, this is the one everybody's tuned into this. I mean, hopefully all of them they're tuned into, but yeah, this is the big one. This is the, you know, potentially the world series team, you know, I mean, these are the best two teams in baseball this year uh, going at it. So uh, we shall see how that plays out. I'm hoping it continues to be a good series. Maybe it goes five games. That'd be good to see. Um, And uh, it's going to kind of be a shame for whoever loses most likely because uh, this feels like a world series caliber matchup. Uh, Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Obviously that couldn't be two NL teams, but mm-hmm. it feels like that caliber of a matchup that we're getting treated with here in the NLDS. So we should absolutely. have to
0: see. Yeah, absolutely. And we did this a little bit backwards this week, but obviously the postseason, uh, the most uh, important uh, thing to talk about at this point. Um, but we do have uh, just a handful of news items to get through real quick um before we kind of wrap it up before uh well not before this weekend or this day in baseball segment but we'll get to that in a second um a few manager notes um we talked about it last week uh, but jace tingler has officially been fired relieved of his managerial duties with the padres we've we've talked at length about the disappointing season that the padres did have uh, in 2021, um, very popular pick to go to the playoffs, very popular pick to win the World Series, or at least go to the World Series, uh, and ended up finishing out of the playoffs below 500, and uh, just went uh, underwent a an epic collapse in the month of September. Obviously, it didn't help uh, that they had to play 19 games each against the Dodgers and Giants this year, um, but definitely not the level of success that, that every uh, everybody uh, involved with the Padres was hoping they would have this year. Um, And then two more uh, the blue Jays officially bringing back Charlie Montoyo to be their manager for 2022 and uh, Terry Francona for uh, what will now be the Cleveland guardians. Uh, He is confident that he will return uh, for 2022 as well after a few health issues this year. Uh, took him out of the dugout for uh, the second half of the season. So, um, Chris, any thoughts uh, specifically uh, about Montoya or Francona? Because I know we've talked about uh, the Padres and Jace Tingler uh, quite a bit.
1: Right. Yeah, I think don't think there's anything additional to say there. Um, obviously, uh, good news that Francona should be back in 2022. He's a future Hall of Famer mm-hmm. in my book and one of the best most accomplished most well-respected managers in the game today so hopefully oh, yeah. he's back uh, and healthy next year and i think charlie montoyo there's not a lot to say here other than of course you know expectations for the blue jays were high and they just missed the playoffs so of course you know it's it's a question worth asking i'm i'm think that it would have been crazy unless right. there was something going on that we don't all know about maybe, maybe he you know but just based on results, I think it would have been crazy to let him go. I mean, they were an outstanding team with a great record, an incredible run differential, mm-hmm. and an incredibly bright future, and no signs of any sort of, you know, there are no ups or PR nightmares, anything like that. Um, it was just the circumstances of the way that things broke. They missed the playoffs by, you know, yeah. a game. They won, what, 91 games or something? I mean,
0: mm, yeah
1: yeah there's there's no reason for concern I think that would have been I think that would have been unless there was something going on we didn't know it would have been crazy to fire him yeah. or to not bring him back so I would agree. nothing else to say on that one
0: yeah so just a couple of uh, housekeeping things there um, we talked about it last week uh, that the Dodgers would be without Clayton Kershaw likely for uh, all of the postseason and that is indeed true but um, he will avoid uh, elbow surgery in the off season, uh, which is good news if uh, if you're Kershaw if you're a Dodger fan um, obviously one of the best to ever do it future hall of Famer uh, finally got his World Series ring last year and uh, just good to see that he won't miss uh, any extended time um, and uh, obviously it's going to be a bit of a setback for the Dodgers in the postseason, but you know, they will, if they're going to make any kind of run, they will find a way to do it uh, without him. Um, But he's expected to make a full recovery and be uh, ready to go for spring training in 2022.
1: Yeah. Hopefully that, that is indeed the case. Um, He's remained, he's not the the level he was before, obviously several years ago, but he remains a really, really good starting pitcher, uh, And I think he is, am I mistaken? Is he set to be a free agent? I think he's set to be a free agent.
0: Uh, Yeah,
1: he is. Is he? Yeah. He is. Um, He's set to be an unrestricted free agent, I believe. Oh, the Dodgers, let me see. Look, I've looked at this before (laughs) because this is not great uh, audio. But looking at his uh, salaries, um, no, he's a free agent. He's an unrestricted free agent, no options I'm seeing or anything. So, wow. yeah, uh, I mean that could be a big thing. I mean, you it would be weird. He would be so weird to see in a uniform that wasn't a Dodgers uniform. Oh yeah, at this point, but I guess it's possible, right? I mean, maybe the Dodgers say, "Hey, we're gonna you know pay up for Max Scherzer instead." I I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll have a lot of options. They have a lot of resources. Um, hopefully. You know, I don't know what I say. Hopefully, I guess for you know, it just would be weird to see him in any other uniform. That'll be an interesting one this
0: offseason. There will be, and uh, I don't think that he'll, you know, be uh, anywhere else besides LA. I think he will probably finish his career in LA. Uh, I'm looking at an article here, uh, just from uh, a Dodgers blog, and AJ Ellis, a catcher on the uh, the Dodgers one uh, of Kershaw's closest friends or a former teammate at this point, I should say. Um, said that there's no chance that uh, that uh, Kershaw is gonna leave LA and go to another team uh, and that he'll go into Cooperstown uh, as a lifetime dodger. Um, so take that for what it's worth. Um, obviously nothing official, but uh, I agree, Chris, it would be very, very bizarre to see uh, Kershaw in another uniform kind of on the level. Uh, you know, of, of Adam Wainwright seeing him in in any uniform besides a St. Louis Cardinals jersey would be uh, just very weird.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I feel like as much as it would be interesting to see him on another team, I feel like it'd be too jarring. Let's 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 have him go back. And it's too much. (laughs) Uh, But speaking of veteran Future Hall of Fame, most likely starting pitchers <laughs> who are very good and are over the best starting pitchers of the last decade plus. Yeah, Justin Verlander. Um, yeah. you know, uh, not a name we've mentioned on the show this year because he hasn't pitched this year. Yeah. Um, because he underwent Tommy John surgery last fall, mm-hmm. uh, and now he is going to be a free agent. And after this season, mm-hmm. he is. 30 i should have 38 will be 38 old,
0: yeah
1: will be 38 years old
0: or is he'll be 39 um, next season he'll be he's 38 okay, he'll season. be
1: 39 coming off tommy john mm-hmm. he's a guy who like max scherzer has pitched really really well into his late 30s mm-hmm. but there's just a huge question now what, what what does he have left in the tank the track record yeah. for guys having tommy john at that age and coming back like they were before is not very good yeah um and so now there's a report this week that the, from, uh, well, not a report, their owner, Jim Crane, said <laughs> that they'll probably extend him a qualifying offer, yeah. uh, which is a, a roughly $19 million one-year offer mm-hmm. that Verlander can receive. And Marcus Stroman uh, decided to take to take that. He's an example, a recent example, of a guy who took the qualifying offer. Yep. And it, I think this would make sense if Verlander takes it and he'd be back in Houston for next year. Um but yeah. he also, uh, you know, would be in high demand, even if with the uncertainty, if he did try to go on the open market. Given his age, though, like, one yeah. of the chances the team signs him to a two or three-year deal in his yeah. late 30s coming off Tommy John. So maybe uh, that's an interesting one. There's not a lot of deep analysis other than to say that that'll be something interesting to follow because he's such a big name. Yeah. Whether or not he reaches free agency or just comes, goes back for another year with Houston is, could be a big factor for next
0: season. Yeah, I don't know if I would... Uh, put a lot of a whole lot of money towards Verlander if if I'm a team that's not the Astros uh, right. I think you know being 39 coming off Tommy John you know a complete elbow reconstruction is just not a good recipe for success um, you know he, he could absolutely come out next year and prove me wrong and you know pitch to a you know a two five or a three era even and you know pitch 180 200 innings and just be dominant like he's been throughout his entire career um but i think the the odds are that he does not do that and uh he's average to below average um but i'm obviously not going to count him out because he's been he's performed at such a high level for so long um Obviously, he, he made one start in 2020. He left it after six innings, and, uh, and that's how he ended up where he is now. Um, but the year before that, he led all of baseball in innings pitch with 223. So, obviously, he has that capability. Um, but uh, it's just going to be very interesting to see how he responds because it's not very often you see guys you know this late into their career having Tommy John and having to make that, you know, take that road back uh, to the major league level. So it'll be interesting to see how he responds and at what level he can uh, kind of return to um, in, in 2022.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think he'll be, it's just, it's a weird point. where We are talking about a, such a great pitcher, such a big name like Verlander mm-hmm. and there's a very good chance. He's just not a good major league pitcher again. Just. Yeah he's almost 40. He had Tommy yeah. John. That's not his fault. Right. Just there's a very good chance he's not relevant again, but like given what he's done in his career and his sort of ability being beyond, you know, most players, he could also just go out and be more or less the recent Justin Verlander for another season or two. I mean, it's possible. It's not likely, but look, I mean, Nelson right. Cruz can do it on the hitter side. Verlander is <laughs> certainly a freak athlete. Yeah. So yeah uh it's one of those things where it's like we're at this crossroads he may never be relevant again i mean not relevant i mean not as a human being not you know (laughs) just as as a player like just you know as a pitcher he may not be a very good pitcher ever again or he Mm -hmm. could go you know finish third in the Cy Young next year and neither of those would stun me i guess i'd be more surprised by the latter but right still so exactly um our final note here, it's just a really small one. There's not not much to say. I just thought it was notable. The Rockies uh, locked up a couple of, of players for next year. No, none of them's Trevor Story. He's <laughs> very likely heading somewhere else, I think, given the yeah. history there. Uh, chances of him re-signing Colorado are about as slim as it gets. But uh, they announced they've agreed to a five-year extension with uh, right-hander Antonio Sensatella worth a little over 50 million dollars It's a lot of money for a guy you probably haven't heard of uh 26 years old farts of five seasons and he's coming off a year which he had a four and 10 record with a 442 era Mm -hmm. which isn't good but uh there's some underlying signs his his FIP, which is an era estimator was 3.61 pitching at coors field half the time that's actually pretty good um And so, you know, it's one of those things for the Rockies, you know, I don't think they're expecting him to be an ace, but look, mm-hmm. they can lock down somebody that they think could be decent for years to come. But, uh, you know, all the Rockies don't look like they're going to be, <laughs> I don't think he changes their uh, 2022 picture all that much. Uh, they also right. brought back CJ Crome, first baseman on a two-year contract, mm-hmm. about $15 million. He's a veteran, he's over 30. He had yeah. a good year, almost 30 homers, almost 100 RBI. Yeah, with Colorado really benefited from the Coors Field uh, situation. He was Player of the Month in the NL in August, mm-hmm. and uh, so a nice piece for them. But there's not much else to say because neither of these changed the bigger picture for the Rockies in a division that's going to continue to feature the Dodgers, Giants, and Padres. <laughs> right. So uh, I don't think re-signing CJ Crone and, and and you know Antonio Sensatella is exactly moving the needle too much in putting them in competition with those other three teams.
0: Yeah, no, I don't I I don't think so either. Um I think for CJ Crone, it'll be nice for him to find a home. He's been on four teams in four seasons, uh, between the Rays, the Twins, Tigers, and now the Rockies. Um, but he's a guy that can provide, you know, pretty significant power um, from the first base position and hit about, you know, 250, 260. He hit 281 this season. Um, put up 28 homers, 92 RBIs, and he's been at about that level for the past three full seasons, uh, minus last year he dealt with some injuries. Um, but I think it'll be good for him uh, to, to find a home uh, for at least uh, another couple of years and just be kind of a, uh, a, a um, I don't know what the word is, a uh, fixture in that Rockies lineup, uh, especially after uh, Trevor Story leaves. Um on you know, the Rockies front office, doing what they can to uh, get, get some pieces in place. Maybe uh, they'll go out and sign somebody significant, probably not, because like you said, they'll have to compete with three powerhouse teams uh, for probably the better part of, you know, the next five years at least. Um, but yeah, just a couple of uh, minor notes to make. Uh, they're really the only uh, contract extensions uh, that have officially gone through so far, and obviously we'll get some more uh, when the playoffs end. Um, but that is it for the news segment this week. Uh, not a whole lot going on. Uh, obviously, the bulk of uh, the content uh, having to do with the postseason. But uh, we'll hit our this day in baseball, um, our this day in baseball segment, and then wrap it up for this week. So uh, obviously, uh, Monday, October 11th. Uh, it's the day that we are recording this. We went back, or I went back, and uh, it's my turn to forget uh, to write down the year that this happened. Um, I know you did that last week, Chris. and just taking after you, I guess. <laughs> 2004. I was 2000... just cool at looking that up. Yeah, okay, 2004. Um, so quite a few years ago now. Um, but the Astros, I couldn't find anything uh, postseason related for the White Sox or the Cardinals. So uh, the Astros are playing the White Sox, so at least a little bit related. Uh, But the Astros, after seven tries during their 43-year history, finally win a postseason playoff series when they eliminate the Atlanta Braves in the deciding Game 5 of the National League Division Series 12 to 3. The Houston victory marks the third consecutive year that Atlanta lost a decisive Game 5 of the Division Series at home. so just a, uh, a nice little uh, piece of uh, baseball history there. Um, obviously the Braves coming off of that, uh, you know their dominance in the in the '90s, uh, and the Astros getting their first postseason playoff series win uh, in their 43 year history. Just good to good to see that. Obviously the next year they would go on and make the playoffs again as a wild card team and lose uh, to the White Sox in the World Series in four games. Um, but that's kind of the start of their uh, – of that little run that they had for a couple of years there uh, in the mid-2000s. That team uh, was a powerhouse, though. Featured uh, the likes of Craig Biggio, Jeff Bagwell, Carlos Beltran, Lance Berkman, Jeff Kent, Roy Oswalt, Roger Clemens, just to name a handful. Um, but that team, a lot, a lot of talent. Uh, future Hall of Famer uh, in Craig Biggio. Jeff Bagwell? maybe is he in the hall of fame that's a good question let's see i feel like the
1: answer is yes yes he is just recently along with craig biggio in uh 2021 yes yes
0: got it okay cool well yeah a couple future hall of famers on that team um and then very uh strong uh pitchers as well with royals while roger clemens neither in the hall of fame but both had very nice careers um, and, uh, f- at the time, future Cardinal, uh, Lance Berkman on that team as well. Part of that 2011, yeah. uh, world series winning team. Um, but yeah, just a, uh, little piece of, uh, baseball history there with our, the same baseball segment, trying to offer something every week, uh, something new. Um, but, uh, as opposed to most other weeks where we have a segment after that, that's going to be the end of the show. We started with, uh, recaps of the division series in the wildcard games and uh, hit a little bit of news and, uh, and that's going to do it. Chris, you got any final thoughts as we go to uh, go into the um, latter part of these division series and then uh, kind of learn what our uh, championship series matchups are going to be.
1: You know, uh, I think the, you know uh, the possibilities on the of the matchups on the American League side are really intriguing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, will the Rays get knocked off? The Red Sox, what situation are they in? And are the, are the White Sox able to claw back uh, in that series? Um, you know, I and it, does anybody have any chance against the winner of the Di- Giants Dodgers series? Whether it's the Brewers <laughs> or Braves, I, I don't know. That might be a very boring series. I, NLCS, I don't know. I mean, it's it's. It's weird. I feel like I had more like analysis, more thoughts in the actual regular season, but it's kind of just like the nature of the postseason. There's some thoughts to have, and then there's some that you just have to sit back, watch it, appreciate it, enjoy it, and take it in because it's hard to predict. You know, yeah. It's much easier to just say like, you know, this is how I think these teams stack up over 162 games. In the postseason, there are just so many factors at play, and the weird nature of baseball means anything's possible, which makes it harder to predict. But more interesting to watch so uh, kind of one of those times to just buckle in buckle up watch the games enjoy as many as you can because this is the time where we still have four series going at once afterwards we'll be down to two and then just the world series so yeah enjoy all the baseball
0: absolutely potential for a uh rematch of last year's nlcs as well dodgers braves that game or, right. that series went seven and uh yeah, the dodgers went on obviously to win the world series so uh, a little bit of intrigue there and just a lot of intrigue throughout all four series. And uh, like you said, Chris, we'll just have to kind of sit back, relax and and watch some, uh, some more playoff baseball. Obviously you don't have any more of a rooting interest, which I'm uh, a little bit jealous at this point uh, because uh, the, the stress is, is not yeah. fun. Um, but obviously I'm not going to complain about my, my white socks <laughs> being in the playoffs uh, and being uh, still alive at this point. So Uh, with that, we will, uh, we'll talk to you next week and, uh, hopefully White Sox are still alive and in the American league championship series, but if not, we'll still give you, uh, analysis and thoughts about, uh, whatever four teams are still left. Um, but until then go, uh, go watch more playoff baseball and, uh, join a bandwagon. If you haven't already, we'll talk to you next week.